All right, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good to see everybody. Good to see many of your faces. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that uh, whatever, your, whatever your comfort level is, uh, whether you feel very comfortable with this or not, we're glad that you made it a priority. We think that being at church is worth it, and it's worth it to, to praise Jesus uh, together here this morning. Um, today, we're, we're recognizing something a little, we're taking a little bit of a break today. Uh, basically, what happened is uh, this week marked the beginning of Lent, the Lent season, and Oftentimes we do an Ash Wednesday service, um, and this week we weren't able to get it put together in time uh, to be able to do it, because Ash Wednesday always creeps up on you as a pastor. You know, you're like full steam towards Easter, and then Ash Wednesday hits you in the face, and uh, you're reminded of what's going on with Ash Wednesday. And uh, so typically we've had an Ash Wednesday service. Also, uh, so we wanted to do something to recognize the Lent season, but also just recognizing my own limitations as a pastor. Uh, we've been going through this series in Ephesians. It's been so good, so rich. God's Word is just really beautiful. I've enjoyed expounding it week after week. Uh, we've just gotten over several kind of difficult weeks where we talk about marriage, we talk about parenting, and um, this week was a exceedingly abnormally busy week for me. I had like a pastor seminar that I had to be a part of, and I just didn't manage my time uh, well enough or manage my schedule well enough to think through, someone else needs to preach for me on this date. And so I got to Monday of this past week and said, there's no way I'm going to be able to prepare a full sermon on slavery and on uh, employers and employees and all the things that go with it. So I decided to go with something that's a little bit more familiar to me. And so today we're going to be looking at a, uh, a passage that if you're if you're a new Christian, we're glad that you're here. We're really glad you're here. But if you're not a new Christian, we hope that this passage, this psalm, is an old friend to you. We hope that it's one that you come back to time and time again, uh, that it's restorative to your soul, that it's one that uh, God's glory has just shined through over and over again. Because it's one of those that um, is very helpful to have memorized. It's very helpful to return to over and over. So if you'll turn with me to Psalm 23 as we're taking our one-week hiatus of, um, uh, from Ephesians, and we're going to be back at Ephesians next week. Psalm 23, as you turn there, let me tell you a little bit about Lent um, and Ash Wednesday. Lent is the season that the church has celebrated for a long time. Uh, that's a 40-day season going from uh, uh, Ash Wednesday until Easter. The only complicated thing in that is if you actually count the days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, there are not 40 days. There's 45 days which is a confusing thing because you hear people say it's 40 days, and it's meant to symbolize Jesus' fast out in the wilderness before he started his ministry. After he was baptized, Jesus went out into the wilderness and was uh, tempted by the evil one uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. The number 40 is very relevant in, in the Scripture. Over and over again, we see 40, but with Ash Wednesday Easter, that's actually 45. And what I actually learned a couple years ago is that the reason why that is is because uh, it was never intended that we actually continue our fast on Sundays. That Sundays are a day for feasting. And so you fast six days of the week, you feast on the Sunday, and you, you don't continue to uh, fast on that day. But one thing that we do during this Lent season is we deprive ourselves of some type of creature comfort, something that we have going on. Many people, the traditional thing is like meat on Fridays, I guess. But many people have interpreted it to say, I'm going to fast from coffee, from sweets, from alcohol, something like that, from TV. There's, there's a variety of different things that I've heard people fast from. And the reason why we fast from these things is so that we can set our heart and our hope on Christ alone. 
we say that, hey, I don't need these things to make my life whole and complete, uh, but I need Christ. And so I'm going to set my heart and my, my eyes on Jesus alone, and I'm going to praise him, and, and this fast is going to be reminding me that I have everything I need in him. But another reason why we do it is because we want to build this anticipation and this longing for the coming of Christ. As we fast, we are being reminded that the world is not as it should be, that hunger pains still hit us today, and that one day everyone will have everything that they need, that one day when Christ comes again, that the world will be made whole again, that it will no longer be broken. So with that in mind, I think I want to look at this Psalm 23. It's just a fantastic psalm. If you wouldn't mind, let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as we devote our attention to this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The main point of this psalm for us this morning, the main thing that David is trying to communicate to us is simply that God is absolutely committed to his people. That God is absolutely committed to his people, to his sheep. When David starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What he's doing is he's using imagery that's unique to him and something that he understands completely. Because uh, it's not a coincidence that David himself had a vocation of being a shepherd. And so, of course, he's got shepherds on his mind. I, for one, can also say, the Lord is my shepherd, because pastor just means shepherd. It would be a similar type of thing. But maybe you're in a different field, and you have to think about, you can think about it using a different metaphor. But still, David uses this powerful metaphor of the Lord is my shepherd. David knows what it's like to stay up all night when a wolf is creeping nearby, taking watch over his sheep. David knows what it's like when he has hungry sheep who haven't seen a pasture land in days and he has to find grace or he's going to lose grass or he's going to lose his flock. David knows what it's like when a stubborn sheep falls into a pit and he pulls it out and it just jumps right back into the pit. David knows what it's like to shear a, wo- uh, shear a sheep who likes his wool. The wool is comfortable. I don't want to give up my wool. And David knows what it's like to handle these animals. And he compares us to the sheep and says that the Lord is our shepherd. His experience as a shepherd helps him know how God is caring for him. A shepherd is responsible for protecting his sheep, for guarding his sheep, and for leading his sheep. Because a sheep cannot provide, protect, or guide themselves. Uh, There's one scholar that I've appreciated his work on on, uh, near-ancient shepherdry. 
um, and that's a, a guy named Timothy Laniac, and he's kind of the foremost scholar on shepherds in the ancient Near East. And what he has said, he's done a, an immense amount of research on shepherds and, and who's called a shepherd and how that works. And one thing that he pointed out in, um, in his book, Shepherds After My Own Heart, um, is this fact that many of the world leaders of the time, many of the kings surrounding Israel, would often be called shepherd kings. That they would take on this name of shepherd as they lead and provide and protect for their people. And so what we have when we come to Psalm 23 is a great king, David. David is the man. There is no greater king in the Bible than David. David is the man at this time. And what he's saying is, I'm not actually the man, but Yahweh is the man. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, every other king says, I am the shepherd. And David says, I am not the shepherd. I am a sheep still. Even as a king, I only point to the great shepherd. And he lays down his life for that. David, the great king, was willing to say, I also need help. I also need guidance. I am not above the Lord. I need protection. I need provision. And I think that's a good question for us here today. Is do we approach God with the same kind of humility that the king of Israel approached the Lord? Where he said, hey, I need protection. I need provision. I need guidance. Here's a good question, just a basic question to test if you are really a Christian, if the, if the gospel has really sunk into your heart or if you're just believing in religion, and it's this. Are you willing to say that you are an ignorant, often wrong, misguided, and dependent sheep in need of a shepherd? Not just in principle, because a lot of us can say, yeah, yeah, man, I'm a sinner. I know, I, I believe that but in practice? Or are you under the delusion, as many, many of us fall under this delusion, and this is just a wake-up call. This is my delusion many times, and this is why I need Psalm 23 in my life. The delusion that you're usually right, that you have life under control, that you don't need guidance, that at your core, you are basically a good person who's earned God's approval. If that's you, that's not what it means to be a Christian. You don't understand the gospel, you understand religion. Because to be a Christian means that you're completely dependent upon the shepherd. Because God, our great shepherd, is completely committed to his sheep. David continues and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that sounds a lot like a command, right? Like, thou shalt not want. The Lord is my shepherd, thou shalt not want. And when you read it like that, oftentimes what it can elicit in your heart and your soul when you read it and say, I shall not want, is guilt. Because I do want things. <laughs> I want things often. There are lots of things that I want. And so is that wrong? And I think that when you look at the translation and look at what he's saying, you're kind of reading it with the wrong lenses, if that's the way you're seeing it. Because I love the way that the Christian Standard Version translates this, because it just has a different emphasis. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd... I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Isn't that beautiful? That's so much different than thou shalt not want. But the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. 
As we dive into this Lent season, I think this is a really important emphasis for us to be reminded. As you feel those hunger pains or as you feel that desire for a sweet or that drink after a long week, whatever it might be that you might be fasting from, if you're not fasting from anything, it's not too late. You could pick up a fast now as you long and anticipate our Easter season in six weeks. I have everything I need. I don't need the sweet. I have everything I need. What is some part of your everyday life that you can part with for 40 days to remind yourself, I have everything that I need? We need that constant reminder because there's a constant war going on in our hearts. This war going on within each of us that doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Instead, it says, I am my own shepherd. What I want is what guides me. We chase after our desires. And in fact, I would say that at the root of all sin is this doubt that God is committed to his sheep. We oftentimes doubt that God is going to provide for us. We have to go out and get what we think that we need. Or we doubt that God will guide us, so we do what is right in our own eyes. Or we doubt that God will protect us. So what we end up doing when we doubt that God will protect us because we doubt that he's truly our shepherd is we work out contingency plan upon contingency plan, playing out our anxious uh, toils in our minds so that we know uh, just exactly if they do this, I will do this because we lack a shepherd to guide us. We don't trust that he's going to provide for us each and every step. One of my heroes uh, is a man named David Powelson. He went to be with the Lord just a couple of years ago. And he wrote... Uh, oftentimes he would do this with psalms. He would write the anti-psalm. So we have the Psalm 23, and what he'll do is he'll give us the, the, uh, the reverse image of the Psalm 23. And what he said is, instead of I, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And they, the anti-Psalm 23 is, I am my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. Is this where you are today? Because, friends, there's so much better that you're being invited into. Don't just condemn yourself, but know that our Lord is a shepherd who cares for you. You don't have to beat yourself up because you've been going your own way. You just have to return to the shepherd and let his kind hand lead you and guide you. The starting point of all sin is that we say in our heart, I can't trust God. I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm not going to trust his kind hand. I'm going to take it into my own hands. When you look at the heart of murder, murder is saying, I don't trust God to do what is right and what is just. I'm going to take this out myself. I'm going to take this person out, this justice in. When you look at the heart of greed, it says, I don't trust God to provide for my material needs. I have to hoard my wealth. I am my own shepherd. When you look at the heart of sexual sin, it says, I don't trust what God's word says about sex. I'm going to do what I think is most pleasurable. I am my own shepherd. You see, friends, all sin starts in the heart. It doesn't happen from outside of you, but you're driven by your desires. And it starts with a denial of God as your shepherd and an acceptance that you are are your own shepherd. That's where our sin starts from. 
James 1 puts this so well when he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is my shepherd. I have everything I need. God is absolutely committed to his sheep. I want us to meditate on this for just a minute. And to think about the things that we feel like we need, but God can provide for us. Meditate with me for just a moment. And remember, God is my shepherd. He cares for me. I have all that I need. Give that to the Lord. God is my shepherd. I have all the time I need. God is my shepherd. I have all the money I need. God is my shepherd. I have all the respect that I need. God is my shepherd. I have all the comfort that I need. He's provided for me in everything. Now one might say, is this always true? Isn't it true that there are people all over the world who are dying from need? Christians, in fact, people who trust in the Lord who don't have everything that they need. And what do you do about that? Because it's a dire reality that there are believers who are dying every day. How can we say that God is absolutely committed to his sheep while at the same time there are many of his sheep who are dying due to their lack of provision? And friends, this is actually the point of Ash Wednesday. Because what, what we do with Ash Wednesday, when we talk about Ash Wednesday, is we recognize our own mortality. We recognize that we're not going to live forever. That the world is broken. When you put the smudge of ashes on someone's forehead, what you actually say is, from dust you came and to dust you will return. From ashes to ashes. And you're being reminded that we're a mere creation and that we're mortal and that one day we will die. Our bodies will die until we're resurrected again to be with Christ throughout all of eternity. The world is broken and we are mortals. And the, the sad reality is that death is coming for each and every one of us. That every single person here, unless the Lord returns before that time, will die. And that day, we like to all imagine that it will be so far in the future that death will be a welcomed friend. But the reality is that for the vast majority of us, that day will come sooner than we wish. There will be things left undone. We've all known people who have died before their time, as we say. The world is broken. But when that day comes, my friends, the believer can acknowledge that ultimately God is all that they need. Death is a dire reality, but death has lost its sting. Christ has removed the stinger of death. He has risen victoriously. So even as we face down death, we can say that 
the Lord is all we need. That he has provided for us in every way. Jesus has defeated death, and we now live with him. God is absolutely committed to his sheep. And I think that that's a true promise in the eternal sense, but I do think it's also a true promise that many of you need to hear today, that he cares for you and that he's committed to your well-being. David continues, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's he say after that? Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What this is teaching us is that God doesn't only give me everything that I need. God gives me more than I need. Listen to what he says. He says, he makes me lie down, not in the comfort of my home or anything like that. He says, in green pastures, beside still waters. When I read this passage, oftentimes what comes into my head is, are these lush Scottish hillsides. Is that what you're thinking of when I say this? This is not Scotland. This is Israel that he's talking about. Israel is arid. It is hard to find green pastures in Israel. The Lord doesn't just give you what, he, what you need. He gives you more than what you need. He gives you these lush green pastures, not only to graze upon, but to lie down in. Does your soul long for restoration? I don't know about you guys, but I can just be walking down the, down the street and I can see like, like a, uh, a, a classy like spa there or something, like an element spa, and be like, that sounds nice. That sounds restorative. That's what, my, that's what I'm longing for here. But friends, the Lord can restore not just our bodies, but our souls. And he does restore our souls as we come to him, as we follow him as our shepherd. More than a hundred pampering sessions, the great shepherd can restore our soul. David says, I don't worry because God is my shepherd. It's his job to worry about things. God has practically used this psalm in my life uh, multiple times. Uh, I can tell you story after story of times when this psalm has been used. This was one of the first passages of Scripture that I taught to my kids. We would walk on our way. We had a five-minute walk to school at our, our home where we lived before uh, our current house. And uh, I would just repeat this psalm and let my kids learn it as we walk down the street to school every day because I want them to be guided by the great shepherd. I want them to know him. I want them to understand what it means to lie in green pastures, not just green pastures of material wealth, but green pastures of the soul where we are restored by him. A few years ago, um, I had a really weird condition. And I've told this story before. Uh, so some of you who've been around for a long time, it's been a few years since I've shared this story, but uh, some of you will be familiar with this. Um, I, I, I think this is actually genetic. My grandfather has a very similar thing uh, to this. But uh, there was a period of a couple of weeks where I would go to sleep and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I wasn't having a nightmare. I was having a night hallucination. And I grew up in rural Mississippi where insects are far too large. Uh, be glad that you don't live there. We, the winters aren't cold enough to kill them, so they just keep growing bigger. 
until you get like spiders that are the size of dinner plates. It's terrible. Um, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm telling you guys, my eyes would be open. I would be looking, and I would look over at my wife, and I would see a wasp the size of a squirrel crawling on her. And it's just terrifying. It was like real life nightmares that have invaded my real life. And I would just, you know, start slapping myself or wake myself up, and I eventually would wake up a little bit more, and the dream would be over. But I saw all kinds of terrible things, and I don't want to give you uh, nightmares, so I won't give you any more illustrations of things that I saw. And, uh, you know, um, I was terrified of my bed. There came a point where I just did not even want to go to sleep because I was afraid of what would happen. There was one night that I was dreaming of dogs this time, and I just started kicking my wife and screaming at the top of my lungs. And we lived in this multifamily house in Jamaica Plain at this point, and uh, my neighbors started texting me and asked me if, we, if I was okay, because it was 3 a.m., and I was screaming as loud as I possibly could. It was a scary time, not only for myself, but for my wife. I don't think she's gotten a full night of sleep ever since. That, that really threw her off. So I started just kind of asking everyone, what is wrong with me? At that point, we were at, at a church in Brookline, City on a Hill in Brookline, and so there's just doctors everywhere. You, you just like run into doctors in, in different places, kind of like engineers here, you know? If you've, if you've talked to a few people, you might be like, oh, you're an engineer, okay. Oh, you're not? I'm oh, sorry, it was my best guess, um, because it's a pretty good guess. Um, but I, I would talk to doctors, I'd talk to a psychologist, talk to a psychiatrist. Everybody was like, are you hearing things? And I said, no, and they said, you're probably okay. Um, so. I think I was that close to schizophrenia, um, according to them. But you know what actually helped me with this? Is I actually told my friend Emmanuel, who plays keys for us sometimes. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he was uh, leading us in worship for a little while. and I told him about this. And he said, man, let's pray. And at that moment, he prayed, may Fletcher's bed be like a green pasture. And every night for months, I would just imagine my bed being like a green pasture that the Lord causes me to lie in because he cares for me. You see, at that moment, I didn't need necessarily a medical help, although maybe I do, but I needed a spiritual guide, someone to remind me that the shepherd is absolutely committed to his sheep and that he'll provide for me everything that I need in every moment of life. I trusted my soul to God, and he restored it. David continues. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in the dark days of life, God is absolutely committed to his sheep. That's what David's telling us here. He says that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with us, that he's with us in those moments. Friends, many people sell Christianity based on the green pastures and the still waters and the restorative of the soul, and they forget to mention the dark valleys that come along with it. We can take a fire festival marketing scheme with this. If you've seen that documentary, the Fire Festival uh, was this um, music festival that was supposed to be on a desert island, 
and they did a lot of advertising for this. They flew in the world's top models to show how much fun they were having on this uh, isolated island, and they got several bands, and they started selling tickets, and they sold so many tickets without a plan. They had no plan in place, and so when people actually showed up to the island, there was little to no food. There was nowhere really to sleep. There was no music. And there was no way to get off the island because they didn't actually have it all worked out. It was raining, so they were just trying to find somewhere to hide. And I'm not even going to tell you about the, sanitary, the sanitation issues that come with not being prepared for a music venue. If you've been to a music festival, it was that times 100, okay? It's terrible. You see, they, it was sold as this elaborate thing, this beautiful thing that you can be a part of. Come, enjoy the fire festival. And then when they showed up, they said, what is this? And many of you, you may have had Christianity sold to you like that. It's green pastures, it's still waters. But then when you get in, you hit those valleys of dark seasons. Friends, if you became a Christian because you were promised those things, and you now find yourself in a dark valley, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you were misled. But I do have something to offer to you today. Because what's better than a green pasture but a living shepherd? Someone who can walk not only in the green pastures, but can walk alongside you in the valley of the shadow of death. Who has a rod and a staff who will protect you and care for you. Who will lead you to the green pastures over and over again. Who will restore your soul over and over again. I want you to see the change in pronouns that the psalmist writes for us here. Look at, start in, in verse 2. He, make, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Look, look at how this changes. After he gets into the valley of the shadow of death, listen to how it changes. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They, the illustration swaps from a shepherd leading his sheep to a shepherd who can be engaged with one-on-one, -on -one, who can be spoken to, not just about, but spoken to, and be reminded that that he's not just leading you, but he's with you in the valley. That's what is happening here. He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness. But when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why do I fear no evil? Because you're with me. You're not just leading me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To know that you're powerful, to know that you can protect me, it comforts my soul. I've been a pastor for at least 15 years now, and I can tell you this, that the most comforting thing almost always to someone who's in a dark night of the soul, who's walking through the valley of the shadow of the death, if you've ever been there, is this reality that God is with his sheep. That his presence is with you in that moment, that he's absolutely committed to his people. 
Let's look and see how David finishes this psalm. This is what he says, verse 5. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's, he's kind of just changing subjects a little bit here. He's swapping uh, illustrations here. Not only is God a good shepherd, but he's a great host is what's happening here. That God is hosting David into his own home. He says, you prepare a table before me. You don't just prepare a meal. You prepare a table before me. This is a, a banquet that you're being invited into. God is showing extravagant hospitality. In the presence of his enemies, you anoint my head with oil, which was a way of, of showing hospitality in this culture, showing care. My cup overflows. That sounds like a party for your cup to be overflowing. I love those restaurants where my cup just keeps getting filled with coffee. All right, that brings joy to my heart. And that's what's happening here. My cup is overflowing, friends. Our cup can be overflowing even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Where was this table prepared? In the presence of my enemies. God is committed to us, and He's generous. We have to enjoy His generosity. Oftentimes for me, when life is going pretty well, I can take, a, a, I can borrow something that's just not Christian at all. I'll borrow kind of a, a karma mindset, or I'll borrow a, a yin-yang concept, or something like that, that says, you know, bad things are right around the corner. It's going well right now, but I know I'm going to be suffering soon. And instead of doing what this passage says, this, this passage, it doesn't say, verse 6, surely evil and darkness will follow me all the days of my life. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. God is generous with his people. And friends, this is something that we need to emphasize in our culture because we enjoy so much material wealth, but God's generosity is not tied to material wealth. There are people all over the world who are very poor who feel like God has been generous with them because there's more to life than just the accumulation of things. People enjoy God's generosity in ways that are other than material. David ends with this, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, how long has it been since you felt like you were dwelling in the house of the Lord? God is this great host. He prepares a table before us. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. Not only that, but we get to stay with him. He invites us to stay the night, to dwell with him forever. Has your spiritual life felt dry? I mean, we've been in this COVID season for two years now. It's been so isolating. Many of us feel so dry. Could God be calling you back to the table to enjoy his delicious food today? Could he be calling you back to hear his voice once again? Because he's absolutely committed to you. If you are his sheep, he is committed 
and he is calling. God is so committed to the welfare of his people that he lived out this psalm in reality. He sent his own son, 100% man, 100% God, living in perfect harmony with God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, came and lived out what this psalm has to say. And he even cited it. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I don't know how much more clear you can be as a, a Jewish teacher walking around. You get up and you say, I am the good shepherd. You are clearly claiming to be God in that moment. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. That compares to all the things that we trust in that might protect us, whether it be respect or uh, the accumulation of a claim or wealth. Those things, these are hired hands, will leave you and abandon you. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, the things that we worship that aren't God, they don't care for us. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christian friends, you might walk through dark valleys, but you can rest easy that you will not, cannot experience the thing that you most dread. Because the thing that you most dread, whether you realize it or not, is the complete abandonment of God. Where none of your dreams are fulfilled, where none of your longings are satisfied, the abandonment of God. But Jesus did experience the abandonment of God on our behalf, on the cross. He took that on so that we would never have to experience it ourselves. So walk through dark valleys we may, but God will be with us because he loves us as he loves his own son who's laid down his life for us. We deserve the abandonment of God because we have oftentimes abandoned him but yet he has sent his son to take on that abandonment for us so that we might walk with him. Jesus walked through the valley of death so that we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death because death is no longer an enemy to us because Christ's death is our death and his life is our life and the shepherd is absolutely committed to the sheep. Each week we remember what Christ has done through celebrating a communion meal. And as we celebrate this communion meal, we remember that Christ drank the cup of God's wrath so that our cup might overflow. And as we take this meal, we're being reminded of the night that Christ said that my body is broken for you. Eat this bread to remember that. My blood is shed for you. Drink of this cup so that you can remember what I've done for you. 
So church, let's stand and pray as we respond and, and receive this communion meal. I'll walk us through the meal throughout the next song. Father, we pray that as we come to your table, that we'll be reminded of your presence with us this morning, that we'll delight in what you've done for us, that you will be with us and lead us, that you'll restore our souls, that we might see the table laid out before us, and that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.